Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope that you're doing well. I hope that you had a nice Thanksgiving for those of you that are in the United States, getting back into the swing of things. I know my kids have a really hard time getting back in the swing of things. I think transitions are hard for kids in general, but for those of us with kids with anxiety and OCD, man, those transitions back to routine are hard, right? So yeah, today is Monday when I'm recording this and it's been a bumpy day getting my kids to school. One didn't actually make it. We'll talk about that later because that has to do with the topic that we're going to be talking about today. So before we get started, if you have not subscribed to the podcast, please do that. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes when they come out. I have some pretty cool ones coming up. I have another therapy corner coming up this month. I had my first therapy corner episode, I think it was last month, where I invite two therapists to come on and we chat and we talk about questions that you have. If you're in my Facebook group or in my AT Parenting community, you will get an opportunity to ask those questions and we will answer them for you. That's a new segment that we are doing probably every six weeks or so. And then another thing that I have that's coming up, which is exciting, is I have an interview with L.A. Leibowitz coming up on the space program. And I'm really excited about that too. So that will actually be coming out mid-December. So subscribe so you don't miss these episodes. The other thing I want to mention before I dive into this topic today is if you are not following me on Instagram, follow me. I am at AT Parenting Survival. And I've been doing some more things over there lately, and I am doing some real tips, not like real tips, R-E-A-L, but like hip, like real R-E-E-L, because I am in the know. Uh, Not really, but (laughs) I could try to pretend. And what I also am doing for those that are not on YouTube, and I'm not sure if I'll continue this, but hopefully I will. I'm putting my YouTube videos that are for kids and teens on Instagram directly. So they'll be on IGTV. So if you like Instagram and you don't like YouTube and you're like, wait, wait, Natasha's on Instagram. Natasha's on YouTube. What? Yes. So I have a YouTube channel that's just for kids and teens, but I'm going to be putting those videos on Instagram as well. They come out weekly and they cover a range of topics on anxiety and OCD. I also sometimes throw up things that are for parents, podcast interviews and such. So take a look at that. If you follow me on Instagram at AT Parenting Survival, you will be in the know. I also post some private things. <laughs> private, that sounds really weird. I post some personal things, it's a better word, sometimes on my stories. So if you want to see a little bit about my life, you can go and check that out. But today I want to talk to you about a topic that was brought to my attention from a member of my AT Parenting community. And I had asked them for topics for my podcast and my YouTube channel. And someone had asked me to do an episode on how to maintain your child's progress with anxiety or OCD after they have made big improvements. And I thought that's a really good question because I spent a lot of time talking to you about how to get them to the point where they have made considerable progress. But then what happens when you get to the end? And, you know, I'm saying to the end because that's a part of the problem. When you view it as the finish line, we continue to have some struggles. And so I want to talk to you about how to view it. I want to talk about some common mistakes I often see in my practice 
and I want to talk to you about how to maintain that progress successfully so that your child can continue to do well. A lot of times, we'll just dive right into it. A lot of times I will see progress in my practice and I see this online in my communities as well. So a bigger picture, but I see people viewing anxiety or OCD as something that they need to cure, something that they need to fix and they need to get over. Like it's an episode in their life that in and of itself can hold you back because you don't want to view anxiety or OCD as something that you're fixing or curing. Because when you have that view, even though that can be optimistic, it really has, it's a double-edged sword because yes, it's optimistic, but it's also going to hold you back because you're going to stop looking for things that might be sprouting. You are going to do some, some behaviors that are actually going to facilitate issues down the road because anxiety and OCD is better viewed as something like diabetes. And I equate it to diabetes a lot because one, it really is a medical condition and, you know, mental health, and I'm not going to get on my soapbox about this. I should stop, but mental health is in the dark ages and we are going to find out. We already know that it's a physiological condition, but I think we're going to find out to what extent as research continues, especially for OCD as well, that we're seeing a lot of crossover between medical issues like pandas and pans and inflammation and autoimmune issues and OCD and anxiety has its biological roots as well. And so looking at it like juvenile diabetes, where your child has to maintain their, their health, they have to maintain their sugar levels. They have to keep track of it. They have to, you know, check their blood sugar levels. They have to watch their diet. They have to do these things to maintain their health even when they have their diabetes under control. And it is the exact same thing for anxiety or OCD. It is a lifelong condition, but that doesn't mean that that lifelong condition has to have your child debilitated. It just means that it's something that you don't just get over. But I want to talk about some positive things in how to maintain that progress. I struggle with my own anxiety and it is a work in progress. My anxiety, my social anxiety in particular was like off the charts for 40 years, 40 plus years. And then I did a lot of hard work to get it under control and to really squash it and make it tiny. But that doesn't mean I keep my eye off the ball. I am constantly doing exposures. I'm constantly checking my thoughts and seeing, was that a social anxiety thought or was that a social anxiety behavior? And I'm challenging myself. I'm doing things that make me uncomfortable all the time to maintain that progress because I know it's not gone. It's just controlled right now. Okay. So how you view it is very important. Some common mistakes I see with parents is they are quick to be done with therapy, be done with treatment, be done with talking about anxiety or OCD, be done with working on it. And these are the kind of things that I hear. I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to upset her. I only want to talk about that one particular theme that we were dealing with. I don't want to discuss anything else because they don't want their anxiety or OCD to get other ideas. I actually did an entire episode on that episode 191, where I talk about the main topic was, do you tell your child that they have anxiety or OCD? But a subtopic within that podcast is the fear that themes are contagious. Are themes contagious? If my child reads a book on anxiety or OCD, and they talk about other anxiety themes or other OCD themes, won't that give my child new ideas? And 
I'm bringing that up here, although you should watch or listen to that episode because I'm going to go deeper into it in that episode, but I'm bringing it up here because it is pertinent to the maintenance stage of therapy or the maintenance stage of your child's journey where your child is progressing. They are not on fire. Their anxiety or OCD is not a front burner issue. They don't need ongoing in-depth therapy. You're not seeing it as a daily struggle. You're not really maybe even seeing anything at all. And so we're going to call that the maintenance stage. You're in the maintenance stage of anxiety or OCD. Maintenance is an important word because it doesn't mean that you are done. It doesn't mean that it's over, but you're maintaining the progress. And in the maintenance stage, you're looking for weeds. I equate anxiety and OCD a lot to weeds. If you've listened to me at all, I don't mean the weeds that are now apparently legal in Arizona, but I'm talking about these weeds that grow in your yard and you pluck them out and you maybe you really try to get that root, but it always tends to grow back. And so when we're looking at our yard, we are constantly weeding. We are spraying or we're pulling. We are making sure our yard doesn't get overgrown again with weeds. So think of it in that metaphorical sort of way. And when you are only looking for your weed, the theme that you're used to, the theme that you have experienced, you're going to miss some new breeds of weeds that can grow up, that can grow into your yard because anxiety and OCD will morph and it will change. And a lot of times I'll see that kids have one very strong theme that tends to reoccur over and over. Like if I'm working with a child and they have, they're coming to me and most kids have at least several different I will see that a lot of times we'll get rid of like, you know, maybe 95% of them, but the theme that was the strongest tends to keep coming back over time. Not always though. And sometimes when you're really honing in on that theme, that's really upsetting. Anxiety or OCD will slip in the back door and will come up with the new theme because your eyes are not on that and you miss it and it grows and it grows until it's this huge weed. And then you notice it and you're like, what the heck is that? And you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that was an anxiety or OCD thing. And now I have this massive weed over here because I was looking over here on the other side for the weed that I'm familiar with. I thought that one was just a flower. I didn't realize that it was actually a nasty weed. So letting your kids know, reading books about anxiety or OCD can introduce them to themes without it being overwhelming. And that's an important part of maintenance. And Sometimes parents have kind of a PTSD for the journey that has already happened. And I totally get this, having three kids with anxiety and OCD, where you're just like, I just want to relax. I don't want to think about this stuff. I just want to celebrate. I just want to do a happy dance that I don't have to think about this stuff anymore. And take your time and do your happy dance and soak up the beauty that is the progress that your child has made. That is a very, very important part. And I don't want to forget that or not mention that as we dive deeper into how to maintain this progress, because it doesn't mean that you're now waiting for the next horrible thing to happen, which I think a lot of us as anxious parents do, but it just means that you're proactive and preventative. So if your child can know different themes, they're not going to miss it. As a therapist, I make sure to let my kids know my kids. I feel like they're my kids, the kids that I work with and my kids literally know what anxiety and OCD is in general. So if you haven't generalized it yet, you want to do that. Your therapist may or may not have done that. And you may or may not have done that. And it's really not something that we remember to do often is to say, 
That OCD is an intrusive thought, feeling, or image, or song that gets stuck in your head, and you need to do something or avoid something to get some brief relief. But the more you do or avoid, the bigger it grows. And this can be any thought, any feeling, any discomfort that OCD wants to glom onto. And I do that on purpose with the kids that I work with because I want them to understand these things in a general way. So when we're doing exposure, I will sprinkle in some education and I will say stuff like, you're doing this exposure and you're triggering your OCD, right? You're like punching OCD in the face. I get really brutal with my, depending on the child, with my analogies, but it could be for anything. So right now, you know, you're touching your desk because OCD says it's contaminated and disgusting. But if OCD said something else to you that was uncomfortable, you would do the exact same thing. The idea is that you are going to do the opposite of what OCD likes, or you're going to ignore the bossiness that OCD is giving you. So what we're doing is we're planting seeds on how to approach any OCD issue, regardless of theme. And we want to make sure in the maintenance phase of things that that is understood, that it could be for anything. And we also want to let our kids know that OCD may and will come back and that's okay. So not only do we need to know that, but we also need to let our kids know that and for anxiety as well, because when they see a sprout in their metaphorical backyard and they see a weed, how we frame anxiety and OCD will determine how much they communicate that weed to us, especially as they get older. So if we don't let them know that anxiety and OCD is a lifelong thing. And you don't have to say it in like a very depressing way, like anxiety and OCD is a lifelong condition. So strap up, buttercup, because it's going to be a long ride. You don't have to be like that. But you could say, you know, just like diabetes or asthma or anything else that you might know people have, anxiety and OCD is something that, that will be part of you. And there are good parts, right? Like it helps you be very empathetic and kind-hearted and intelligent and think out of the box and sensitive in a good way where you can pick up people's feelings. Like all those things are part of anxiety and OCD really. And those are things that we want to keep, right? And if you haven't done that, you should definitely talk about the superpowers of anxiety and OCD. But then we want to say, so we just have to keep an eye on it. The cool thing is you have a lot of skills. You have learned a lot of skills and look how small you've made anxiety or OCD. Look how you shrunk it into this tiny little gnat that's just buzzing around. You can barely hear it. It's not even bothering you. The thing is we want to keep an eye on that gnat so we don't want it to grow bigger. And when it starts to bother you again, it won't take as much because you have all the skills and all the knowledge to swat it away like you did before. So that's how we want to frame it. That's how we want to believe it for ourselves as well, because how we view things definitely impacts our kids, whether we verbalize it or not, they can sense it. So I know I'm a little, I feel like I'm a little all over the place, but I hope I'm getting my main points across in that we want to convey that it is something we want to keep an eye on. I also like to convey that there are superpowers. And lastly, it's important for them to realize that the more proactive and early they are in plucking these weeds out, the more expressive and communicative they are in telling you about it, the better long-term it will be because they are just going to be pulling out these little tiny weeds instead of keeping it secret and letting it grow. That's one reason why I don't do graduations in therapy. I know a lot of therapists do, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I really want to solidify that therapy is not over. So when I move kids into the maintenance stage of therapy, 
I congratulate them for all the work they've done. And I tell them you're doing so good that I don't need to see you regularly anymore because you are awesome. And you got this, you understand how to do this. We're going to move into maintenance. And I, and I use that word maintenance. And so you're going to just check in with me like every month. And then if, you know, things continue to do well, you're going to check in with me every six weeks and then eight weeks, and then maybe twice a year. And then maybe only when you need it. And when you hit a bump and you most likely will, because, you know, life is bumpy, it's got curves and bumps, and then it gets smooth. You're going to know how to handle it, but I'm here to support you. If that bump is a bit too bumpy and you need a reminder or you need a tune up, I'm always here to support you. So that's how I like to frame things in therapy, because I feel like when we graduate our kids, that there is some shame in coming back. They feel like they've ha- they have failed, especially for our perfectionistic kids. So we can help with that by not setting it up like a woohoo, you have graduated, you are successful and you have completed the course because anxiety and OCD is never completed. It is something that we maintain. So we want to convey that to our kids in a way that we can in a positive sort of way. And then I want to talk to you about what maintenance exposures and challenges look like. And that's an important part too. A lot of times parents will just, they'll be so happy that this is quote unquote over that they will, will a lot of times in therapy, I will encourage parents to cancel the rest of their appointments. I will push it out and say, you don't need to be coming back because you're doing so well. I like maintenance to continue for a while. But it's not necessary per se. That's between you and the therapist. And so talk to your therapist. And there are plenty of parents that I work with where they've got it. They The parent has been well-trained. The child's been well-trained. And so I'm just a touch point to remind them to do the things that they already know. But do the work at home, regardless of whether you have a therapist or not. And you want to do maintenance exposures or challenges. And so if you don't know what ERP is, if you're new to my podcast, I have a podcast on that episode 53, but exposures ERP is the most effective evidence-based approach to OCD. Also highly effective for anxiety. I tend to call them challenges for anxiety and exposures for OCD, but they are the same thing. I just like different language. So I'm not going to go into what those are today. Go listen to my other episode if you don't know what those are, but you want to maintain those. So it's really important to to do exposures or challenges, even when your child's not showing any distress. And I get that question a lot. My child says this doesn't bother them anymore. So should I be bothering with exposures? And yes, you should. It doesn't matter if it's boring to them. You want to continue to do them because that's how you maintain the progress. When you stop doing it, then the OCD or anxiety can come back. So do those challenges, do those exposures, maintain them, even if it's boring, keep them dynamic, keep them changing. And if you don't know what to do, because you're like, I honestly, they're not having any problems. I don't know what to do. Then just go to whatever was their biggest, baddest struggle and do maintenance on that. The other thing is you want to do some check-ins when your child has, you know, progressed to the point where you aren't talking too much about anxiety or OCD, you want to check in. And that might initially be once a week. And then it might be over time once a month, but you don't want to have the anxiety and OCD conversation die because the child might interpret that as, I don't want to upset my parent. They think that I'm over this, or they think that I'm better and I'm not feeling better. And I don't want to disappoint them, or I don't want them to bring me back to therapy, or I don't want to talk about this anymore. So I'm not going to talk about, I'm not going to bring it up because it feels nice not to talk about whatever their reason is. We want to touch base with them at least once in a while. And that will look different for each one of you. And it will look different 
depending on their progress. So once a week for a little while, and then once, you know, every two weeks and then once a month and partner with your child and say, I want you to know that anxiety and OCD is something that we're going to touch base on once in a while. And even if that just means I'm going to say, what's your number been overall? One to 10, 10 being like, oh my gosh, OCD or anxiety is the worst ever. Or one being like, I don't even feel like I have any. What number are you? And so if you don't have a talker and they don't want to process things with you, at least get a, get a number periodically once in a while. I think that's a really important thing to do. And then continue with giving your child points or prizes for doing exposures or challenges. That's a really good thing. I am in maintenance for some things with my kids and we are in active work in other things. And so if you've mastered something, you want to continue to go back and poke that beast once in a while. So if your child was thinking that certain things were contaminated and you got, and they're over that now because they've done exposures periodically you want to do exposures on those anyway. My daughter has a thing with blood and she says that she's over it and we need to go back and do exposures on that once in a while so that we maintain that progress. My son had a thing with poking a long time ago and periodically I will poke him on purpose. Sometimes I'll say, I'm going to poke you. I'm going to poke you to just to upset your squishy. Like I'll talk about his OCD and that's just maintaining his progress. So You want to do maintenance exposures and challenges on the things that were the biggest, most disruptive in their life. And also on those new things that you're seeing that are sprouting up that may be nothing, but it can't hurt to do exposures and challenges. It can hurt to not do them. So you can be proactive and do minor themes if they pop up. I've had kids that I've worked with in my practice where they've literally had a new theme that week. We did exposures on it. And the next week that theme was gone onto the next theme and over and over. And so you can do it that way. The next thing I want to say is what was your goal for anxiety or OCD? And I'm saying anxiety or OCD because some of you might only be dealing with anxiety and some of you might be dealing with both. And so I want to be inclusive, but sometimes I see that the goal was pretty small and it can be expanded. So I'll give you an example from my own personal life. I was working on social anxiety. And so my challenge ladder, my hierarchy was to start conversations with every cashier that I saw. That was fun. I'm not a talkative person when it comes to small talk. So that was an exposure for me. And then I had to like do some things. Like I had to go to the gym and I had to like, you know, walk in front of the receptionist and I had to do Facebook lives that I hated. So I had all these things in my exposure. I had to call people. I don't really like using the phone. I actually think part of it is because I like read people's body cues. I'm like really part of my intuitiveness is actually seeing when I'm talking to someone. And so I would have to call people on the phone so that I felt like I was partially blind. So I had all these things. And and then I felt like I was, I was good. I'm able to do all of those things, not in ways that I want to a hundred percent, but I'm able to do them if I need to. And I'll give you an example, actually, before I get into what I'm talking about, where for maintenance. So my husband and I were driving, we were driving in the car and there was like a reservation that we made and we weren't getting an email. We were supposed to get a confirmation. And he was like, just call them and tell them that we didn't get the email that they were supposed to send. And I looked at him and this happened just a couple of days ago. So social anxiety alive and kicking over here. I said, I'm not going to call them. And he was like, I'm driving. Can you just call them? And I was like, in my head, I was thinking, why can't I call them? And it was because of my social anxiety. Like it has been such a long-term habit for me to just like have panic at the idea of picking up a phone and calling someone. 
that like my knee jerk reaction is to say, absolutely not. And normally like he would pull over or he would call or he'd call later or, you know, like he has accommodated my social anxiety inadvertently, like for the 12 years that we've been together. And so I said, okay, well, he was getting a little annoyed to be honest. (laughs) And then it, it made me realize I need to do that. That's an exposure. And so I did, and I did it fine. And it wasn't nerve wracking at all. It's just that initial hump of like my knee jerk reaction to say no. So that's a maintenance exposure. Like I am, you know, my social anxiety is really tiny, but it, it pops its ugly head and I, I have to be aware of it and pull it back. And we want to teach our kids how to do that so that we're not the anxiety or OCD police, but that they're doing that. They're challenging themselves periodically. And that would be really helpful. But when I had done all those things, when I had done that whole like social anxiety hierarchy and I was able to do all those things, I thought I'm, I'm kind of done. Like I'm good. And then I thought, well, how can I grow this bigger? And so I signed up for a conference that was out of state that, you know, I'd go to by myself. This is before COVID and I'd go to by myself without my husband, who's normally like my human shield. He comes with me. He makes me feel better. And he, you know, luckily and lovingly has no problem doing that. So I really appreciate it. But I need to do things for myself. And so I signed up for a conference, an OCD conference. It was actually like a BTTI training. I had already done one and I was like, I'll sign up for another one for pediatric. I needed to go to it anyway, but I went there and, you know, my husband was more than happy to like bring the kids and they'd find something to do in Wisconsin. (laughs) But I said, no, I'm going to go and I'm going to do this by myself. So that was a huge exposure for me. And this was years ago. But it was a huge exposure for me because it was a bigger goal, right? It was much bigger than what I had envisioned. And I'll give you an example on a kid level. So my son had initially had a fear of just going upstairs. And then he got over that because he'd get points every time he went upstairs. And then he had an issue going into his dark room because sometimes we just turn all the lights on first. And so our next goal was for him to just be able to go into his room without us turning the light on. And then it was the bathroom because there's a whole thought about the mirrors. We had a problem with the mirrors for a while where he thought like something was going to pop out of the mirror. And so any room with a mirror was an issue. So he, he would go into his room, but attached to his room was his bathroom and he wouldn't go into the bathroom without my help. So we worked on that. Then he was able to go into his room. He was able to go into his bathroom without any help. That's still a bit rough, but he can do that all independently now. But then we went even farther. So we expanded that goal. And the goal was for him to be able to go upstairs by himself and take a shower in that bathroom without me upstairs at all. Honestly, I thought we would never get to that place because I remember being his age and having my sister have to sit on the toilet when I took a shower because I was pretty sure I was going to be murdered. (laughs) And I I don't even remember that ever stopping. Like I remember my entire childhood, like I would have my sister sit in the bathroom when I took a shower and just talk with me. And even now, like when we looked for a house, (laughs) it's kind of embarrassing, but I wanted a shower that was like full glass so that I could see out. So I could like see something coming (laughs) that kind of helped with my shower uh, anxiety, but that's kind of enabling myself. So I didn't expect him to be able to do that forever because I was using myself as a baseline, which is not a good thing when you're an anxious person. So that was our expanded goal. And he was able to do that. I proposed it to him. He could earn some points and he did it and he's fine. And now he takes showers upstairs all the time by himself. So what goals can you expand beyond the progress that your child has made? Because a lot of us, there's, there's more wiggle room we can actually do. So 
that's something to think about too when we're thinking about maintenance and the maintenance stage of your child's progress. Two more points before I wrap up. You want to celebrate your child's success when you notice things that they're able to do that they weren't able to do before. Because so often as parents, we notice the negative things and we highlight the negative things because we want to work on them so we can help our child. But when they're doing things that they couldn't do before, we'll celebrate that in the beginning, but then we kind of forget, right? Because they're not on fire. It's not a front burner issue. There's no drama. There's no chaos. It's just life as it should have been to begin with. And it is really good to periodically remind your child that they would not have been able to do this in the past. Now, sometimes people are nervous to do that because that goes back to my initial point in the beginning of this podcast where people think, I don't want to bring it back up because then what if I, you know, create it again? What if I remind her that she had this problem and then she begins to have the problem again? And my answer to that is in general, then the problem has never been gone to begin with. Because if you are so worried about rocking the boat because you think that the boat is going to sink if you move it, then that's not a good boat. Or you have to walk on eggshells because you are so nervous that you might trigger a new response. And those weeds have not been fully pulled out. You want to be able to shake that boat like there's a big boat party on there. You want to be able to walk on eggs and squash them. (laughs) How many metaphors can I use in a sentence? So that you know 100% that you're not walking around avoiding the topic so that you don't bring up any anxiety or OCD. You should not be afraid of anxiety or OCD. It should be afraid of you or your child. And you should be able to have any discussions. If it is provoked that easily, then it's just like an iceberg and you're just not seeing a tip. And so you don't want to live life like that because you can still hit an iceberg even if you don't see the tip. (laughs) Okay, I'm so sorry that I am not speaking English and I'm only speaking in metaphors. (laughs) So praise your kids. That happened recently. We were on a long drive, a couple of hours, and my son started to freak out because he had to pee. And this seems to happen every time we're on a road trip. So he is freaking out. He is crying. I don't know why he drank an entire bottle of whatever he had back there. And in the past, that would trigger my nine-year-old and her OCD around pee. She has a lot of intrusive thoughts about pee. If someone has a pee accident, just it's all about pee. And she has claimed it's all gone. She's fine. Not a problem. We've done some maintenance exposures where she has to touch what may or may not be pee. And she doesn't seem to have an issue with it. So we're, we're there and I look at her and she's kind of white as a ghost. And I look at her and I give her a thumbs up and she gives me a thumbs up back. And that's all we did. It was like nonverbal, but it was like recognizing that she's not outwardly freaking out. She's not having a panic attack. She's not getting upset by this. She's not comfortable. It was definitely triggering for her, but she was fine. She went back and was back on her iPad. And I even brought it up to her later the next day. And I said, you are awesome. Because I know that that would have been, your O'Cloud would have freaked out about that. And look how far you've come. Because the last road trip we took, you were in panic because the exact same thing happened. And she was like freaking out about it. And so I was like, you have progressed so much. Now, that was a couple of days ago. Last night, her pee thing did come back. She had to go to the bathroom when she was going to bed. And then she came out crying and said, I have to go to the bathroom again. I thought she meant not pee, but poop. And so I said, well, then just go again because she has celiac disease. And so often she has some GI distress. And then she came back out and she goes, I have to go again. And I go, well, then just go again. And she goes, yeah, but I've already peed twice. And I go, oh my gosh, it's pee. And then I realized that she's kind of 
back on her pee thing because she has sensory motor OCD as well, where she feels like she has to pee. And then it kind of morphed into like just pee is contaminated in general. And it moved into a kind of a whole other thing. And so then I realized, okay, yes, talking about this brought back her issues, but we don't avoid that. We hit it. We hit it like we would if it was any other theme, because when you celebrate victories and then it pops up, it means that it's not hundred percent gone anyway. So that doesn't mean we avoid celebrating victories or we avoid talking about it. It's like, we want that to come up to the surface so that we can deal with it. So I said, well, then I challenge you not to go pee at all anymore for the rest of the night. And she goes, well, what if I have to again? I said, well, do you think that you would have to, or do you think that would be OCD? And she said, I know that'll be OCD. And I'm like, okay, then just go and sit in your discomfort in bed. She did. She didn't sleep at all because I let her watch her iPad to just kind of quiet her mind. And apparently I went to bed, which was lazy of me. And she stayed up until six in the morning. And so she didn't go to school today because she's really tired. And that's okay though, because she did not give into her OCD. And that was really the ultimate goal. Yeah. She lost a night of sleep, but she did not give into her OCD. And we're going to work on that. And now we're going to do more exposures around that again, and keeping track of her pee so that we keep an eye on it. Cause that was a, a really big weed two years ago. So don't run away from OCD. Even if you hit a bump or even if you bring it up and it sprouts a, a rapid growing weed, you want to better to see the stuff that's there than have it lie under the surface and you have no control over it. It will pop back up and that's okay. The last thing I want to mention is pulling back and letting your child have more control. So I'm going to say to her today, I haven't done this yet, but I'm going to say to her today, what do you think we should do next? You know, obviously your O-Cloud is trying to glum onto the whole pee thing again. And you did such a fantastic job squashing that for a while now. What kind of exposures do you think we should do? And then I'm putting it back in her court. So it's really important when you're in maintenance mode to get your child to start doing things for themselves. What exposures can they do for themselves? So you can kind of say that your, your last goal when you're in maintenance is fostering that independence. And so if you have been cheerleading and coaching and you've been the one driving the car, for your child's anxiety or OCD, this is the time to pull back and get them to start to control things themselves. And I use Privilege Points. I've talked about this a lot. It's an app that I converted for exposures and challenges. And we use that at home. And my kids will say, you know, can I do this exposure? Can I do that exposure? Or my son will come back home and he'll report like, mom, today, I did this and it was really hard for me and, or I ate this. A lot of times it's something that he ate. I ate that mom and it was really chewy and his OCD is predominantly about food and intrusive thoughts around food. And so when he tells me that he's done something that was really hard and that he pushed through it as an exposure, I will sometimes give him a point for that. For him, I will almost always give him a point because one, I'm trying to work on communication with him that he can come and verbalize his struggles. And two, that's not a maintenance issue we're working on. It's actually like an ongoing issue we're working on. So I want to encourage that. But you don't always have to give points after the fact because then kids will kind of look for things to get points for. And so you got to be careful about that and just know, I guess, the level of sincerity that your child has and honesty. But getting them to think about things is a good thing. And even if sometimes you think they're trying to just manipulate the system and get a point, if you're doing a behavior modification kind of point system, it's still good sometimes to let those slip in and give them the points anyway, because they're thinking about it. And so they have to think about 
you know, hey, I did something that would have been considered an exposure or challenging, or I thought about how that was my anxiety or OCD enough to tell my mom or my dad that I should get a point for it. And we can reward that sometimes because just the thought of it is actually good. So that's another thing for maintenance is we really want our kids to start thinking about it themselves and independently coming up with exposure ideas. Also, you can sprinkle in books. Bibliotherapy is really helpful. And so you can motivate your kids to read books by giving them points for that too. I am really big in a behavior modification for anxiety or OCD. I think that's really helpful. And it maintains the progress when there are points that they're working for so that there's still motivation there. Like my kids want certain things and they know that the only way they're going to get them is through exposures. And even if they feel like they have nothing they can do, like sometimes my son who has plenty he could do, he'll be like, I have, I have no idea on what exposure I can do. Then I'm like, well, then you're not going to earn your points. I mean, that's up to you. And he'll miraculously come up with something that he can do that will upset his OCD. So you can have them earn points for watching my YouTube videos. You know, they're like five to 10 minutes long, and that's a good maintenance action to do. Just make sure that you're finding one that's appropriate to them because I make lots of different ones, different themes, and not all of them are going to be relevant. I do have playlists. I have like an anxiety playlist, an OCD playlist, but there's a search button on my channel. Just search a topic that's relevant to them. And you're going to find YouTube videos. Probably they're going to pop up. Some books that I really like are Practice Being Brave by Molly Gambrel is a really good one for, I don't know what the age range would be, maybe like seven to 12. A good teenage graphic novel is Everything is an Emergency by Jason Adam Kassenstein. I like that one. I also like Stuff That's Loud by Lisa Coyne and Ben Sedley. And I also like the ACT Workbook for Teens with OCD by Dr. Patricia Zarita Ona. Um, that's one of my favorites. And that's a good one to do in maintenance stage because it will really teach those self-driven skills. It's a workbook. And I like workbooks because I think it helps kids really solidify those ideas. And her her book is much more general where they'll be able to really see how thoughts. They get hooked into thoughts. It's more of an act approach, acceptance, commitment therapy. And and so that can be really helpful as well for them to just learn how to approach their thoughts in general differently. You can also get a lot of like coloring workbooks that are OCD triggering in the maintenance phase. So there are a whole bunch. I will just tell you about a couple of them. Color Your Fears, a workbook using exposures is a good one by uh, Not Alone Notes. They created that and you can probably find that on, on Amazon. Um, I have a, a tons and tons of coloring books and stuff. So find something that works for your child and you can have them do these things, even though it's not triggering their OCD, just to make sure that it continues to not do that. If you have a child with moral OCD, you can periodically do exposures on the triggers that are around what was upsetting them. So that you're, you know, maybe you're like doing a fun curse word roundabout or you are, you know, doing something that would be seem inappropriate, but you're doing it as an exposure to trigger those thoughts and feelings just to make sure that you are maintaining it. So I hope this was helpful. I really feel like the maintenance stage of anxiety and OCD is something that's missed more often than not. Even by some therapists, I think that we don't do maintenance as well as we should. And I don't think we set up maintenance as well as we could when it comes to anxiety and OCD. And as parents, it's our it's our responsibility. We can't depend on the therapist necessarily doing it in the way that it needs to be done 
in order for our kids to thrive long-term. And even if you have a fantastic therapist, it's still our life, our world. And I'm speaking in my mom hat, not my therapist hat right now. We're the ones that are going to have to make sure that they're doing these maintenance things or make sure that we talk to them about doing these maintenance things. And I would not leave it as one and done with my child. I wouldn't be like, we're going to talk about what maintenance is. And we're going to talk about how you need to be doing exposures. I'm not going to be doing them for you or bringing them up, but you need to be doing them still. Well, they're kids. How often do they forget to brush their teeth? How often do they forget to, you know, do their homework or how often, well, maybe not some of your kids, but some of them, yes. How often do they forget to practice the piano or practice drums in my kid's case? They're kids and they're not going to want to do maintenance exposures. They're not going to want to talk about anxiety or OCD. They're going to think that they're done with it. So it is our job to remind them. It is our job to make it fun. It is our job to gamify it. And it is our job to keep an eye on it, but the rest will be up to them. So many times I've had parents that I've worked with and not even just in the maintenance stage, but actually in the active stage of therapy where they're like, well, she didn't do her exposures again this week. And I'm like, well, how often did you remind her? Oh, I didn't remind her at all. It's her deal. She needs to do it. And I do get that. And I do move towards that as far as therapy wise, you know, to get the kids to do it themselves, but it's a process and they are still kids. So reminding them once to do it per day and then having them maybe choose not to do it is different than not ever bringing it up at all. It's a weird balancing act that we have to do as parents is we are there to coach them and we are there to remind them, but we can't do it for them and we can't be punitive. And at least that's my opinion, but we can remind them. And even in the maintenance stage of things, you do need to be the reminder, whether that is talking to them and setting up a schedule or what I prefer to do in my house is anything and everything that they want that is a want, not a need is going to have to be earned through doing exposures. And I was actually just thinking about this for Christmas. I think my son wants Robux and I'm thinking that might be a bad idea because that's the only way he can get his points for the only way he can get his Robux is through points for doing an exposure. And I don't want to take away that power. So you want to be aware of what things are you giving to your kids that they, they want through gifts and birthdays and Christmas and stuff that they could actually be earning through exposures. Some food for thought for myself <laughs> as I think about that, because that is so motivating for him that he will he will come up to me at least quite a few times a week and say, mom, what can I do? I want to earn some Robux. And the only answer is exposures. I do not let him do chores for it. I do not let him just be randomly nice to people. It is only exposures because it's hard to motivate him. And so that's the only currency. So when you're in the maintenance phase of things, set that up. If you've already maintained that or you have that going on, keep it going. Don't just drop it because things are improving. Okay. Well, I hope that you found this helpful. I hope you enjoy my show. If you are, please hit a star wherever you consume your podcasts. And if you can leave a review, I greatly appreciate that. Writing a review helps other parents know that there is quality and value in this show. There's a lot of podcasts out there and people need to know which ones are going to be valuable. So thank you in advance for taking the time to leave a comment and I will maybe read the one that you leave next time. And I will see you again next Tuesday. And I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.